The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord When Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her hand, took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. People seek healing in many different ways. And those of us who believe strongly in the, the importance of and the, and the power of healing prayer also believe that when you're sick, you need to find a good physician. That's important, too. But it does not in any way uh, detract from the importance of healing prayer. Healing prayer is a long-standing Christian tradition, and it's certainly alive and well in the church today. For many years now, uh, pilgrims have sought out Lourdes in the southern part of France where about a, a century and a half ago, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to a young woman named, named Bernadette. And pilgrims have made their way to that place now for many, many years. And if you visit it, you would find crutches, even wheelchairs, braces that are hanging around various places around that shrine as a witness to the fact that those who have come there believe they have been healed. When we were in Turkey, we had the opportunity to live close to Ephesus. We were only about 45 minutes from Ephesus. We were in Izmir, which is just north of Ephesus. And many of you know, and perhaps some of you have visited the House of Mary, which is located in Ephesus. We visited there a number of times, but once our congregation, uh, Anglican Church in Izmir, had the opportunity to go there and to celebrate a Eucharist in her house, but the thing that I will always remember about that house is that as you looked at the walls in what was more like a crypt, there were uh, crutches and canes hanging all over the walls as a witness again to those who had come there and believed they had been healed. Well, some of you may wonder, do I believe in the miracle of healing, of the efficacy of healing prayer? And the answer that I have is very clear. Yes, I do. There have been a number of times in my own life when I have known people who have been healed in a way that really is, uh, can't be explained by modern medicine. 
At the same time, I also acknowledge that maybe we just don't understand enough. That's always a possibility. But God can work in those ways, too. So it still does not limit God. One of the examples that I recall and will never forget about the uh, a miracle of healing occurred while I was serving the parish in South Dakota in Yankton, where I was at Christ Church. We had a midweek study group, not unlike the one that we have here, met on Wednesdays. We met there from 11 till noon, and then we'd walk over from the old rectory to the, to the church, and there was a side altar there, just large enough for our group to gather and to uh, have Eucharist together. We, our custom was, after everyone had received communion, those who wanted prayer for healing would come up to the altar rail, and I would anoint them with oil, and I would put my hands on their head, and I would pray for their healing. This went on week after week after week. And I remember once I was thinking about this ritual of healing prayer that we had, and I frankly thought, you know, this, this is starting to feel kind of hollow to me. It doesn't feel very real. We're just going over this time and again. I don't see anything happening. And I really hadn't had anyone talk about any sign of healing in their own life. Almost everyone who was in the group would come up for healing prayer. Well, then, shortly after I had had that thought, and I really was, was struggling with it, we had another time of Eucharist together, healing prayer, and afterward we were gathered uh, talking. We often went off to lunch together, but we'd always chat a bit after the service. And suddenly there was a woman there who said, would you be quiet for a moment? So we stopped. She said, I can hear out of this ear. Now, I didn't even know that she had been deaf in this ear for many, many years. And in that moment, in a way that could not be explained, she was suddenly able to hear out of that ear. For her, in that moment, and for those of us who had been praying and going through that ritual week after week, this was a sign of God's grace, a sign of God's healing power. Whenever God chooses to do it, in a moment, in an instant, and she could hear. Now, I think it's very possible that there are other explanations for why that happened. But for those of us who had been praying week after week, we were very happy to see God act for her in that moment. I tell you these stories about healing because Mark is one of those Gospels that, as you know, everything happens immediately. And also in that gospel is a great deal of economy of words. He doesn't spend a lot of time explaining things. But the other characteristic that's so important to see in it is that about a third of the verses in Mark have to do with healing or with the casting out of demons. So it's important, I think, that at some point we reflect on that so that we don't always get hung up whenever we hear these healing stories or the stories about casting out demons and go off on a track that isn't particularly helpful as you sit there wondering what crazy thing is the preacher going to come up with this Sunday to talk about this. So I want to help all of us with this. I think the importance about the healing stories, the question that we should be asking when we hear them, is not, could this have happened? Was that something that really happened? That's not a helpful question. The helpful question is, what does it mean? 
The other thing that I think is important to see in it is that uh, Jesus told parables. You know, he, he would tell a parable as a way of drawing people into an imaginative state where they might think about uh, an important theological principle in, in sort of an abstract way and then make it real to them. But he also acted out parables. He enacted parables. And in a sense, I think some of these healing stories are an enacted parable where Jesus does something and then we reflect on it and think about it and we're drawn into it in a different way. So if you hold on to that, I, I think that that is important. I also want to put a footnote on the story I told about the woman in South Dakota. One of the things that I have often found that is true for me is that I get to the point where I give up on God. And this has happened a number of times in my own life and perhaps in yours. I have done something or prayed for something or I have been engaged in something with God that nothing seems to happen. And finally I just give up. And then God does something. And I'm reminded that it's not about me, it's about God. And that's exactly what happened in that instance in South Dakota in my own life. That's what it meant to me. It was a clear sign that God, God's faithfulness, not mine, is what is so important. So I think the first thing that we need to see in these healing stories is that, you know, Jesus very early on in his gospel, he says in that gospel, he says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near when Jesus had come near in those stories. And when Jesus came near, things happened. And when Jesus came near, people were restored. When we think about sickness and illness, we think about it in a biological way. We think of, of the physical body and of things that have gone wrong or disease that has attacked the body. And we have that more scientific perspective. But at the time of Jesus, illness, sickness had more to do with relationships and what was going on with that person in community and in their relationship with God. So it, it became a sign of something much greater. So their first thought would not have been necessarily that something is wrong with this body, but rather there's something wrong in the way this person is in the community and with the person's spirit. So what Jesus does when Jesus is healing is restore these people to community. He restores them to life. He restores them in relationship with God. It is an act of restoration, of being made whole. And in many ways, our own healing, when it occurs, is a, is a restoration that's very important in terms of our relationship with other people. It's not just about getting well. So I think that's another thing we need to keep in mind as we hear the stories about Jesus casting out demons or of healing people of, of various illnesses. It's one way of looking at it is you, you've probably heard that only certain people could come to the altar at the temple. And those people had to be uh, they had to be pure. They could not be defiled, for example, by a, a lame leg, a broken leg. Or there were many other uh, things that were called out that, that uh, eliminated the possibility of a person being able to serve at the altar. That, again, was a sign of not being restored, of not being 
in the right place physically to be able to have that role within the community. So restoration, I think, is another aspect of Jesus' healing that is very important for us to see. So let us look then at this uh, account that we have of a healing in this particular gospel. Jesus had come directly from the synagogue. Now that in and of itself is kind of an interesting thing. This is very early in, in Mark. And Jesus has been in the synagogue with some of the disciples. And those of you who have been in Capernaum, the, the traditional place for the house, uh, for Peter's house, is very close to the synagogue. And Jesus is walking with some disciples. They come to Peter's house. They go in, and the first thing they find out is that Peter's mother-in-law is sick and has a fever. And in three sentences, this is the whole healing, three sentences, Jesus takes her hand and lifts her up, and she is healed. There's not a word there about her faith. There's not a word there about anything special she did. Now, when you listen to preachers on the radio or on television or even from some Episcopal pulpits, you will hear an emphasis on our faith being so important for our healing or for our relationship to God. But the reality is it is always God's faithfulness, not ours. It is always God's faithfulness that makes us whole. And Peter's mother-in-law experienced that in that moment. As the kingdom drew near and she was restored. Now, the next thing that happens, of course, is not always well received by women in the 21st century. <laughs> she gets up and she goes and prepares the meal. <laughs> and how many women have thought, you know, that's exactly what happens at my house. <laughs> Even when I'm sick, I have to go and prepare the meal. <laughs> But I think we need to see in that, we have to ask the question again, what is, what is important in this? What is, what is the gospel saying to us? I think the gospel is saying that restoration, wholeness, healing is for a purpose. And the purpose is service to others. In a sense, the mother-in-law of Peter was, uh, was demonstrating by her actions what it was to be a disciple of Jesus. It was to be a servant, to serve those who had come, to provide hospitality, which you know is, is probably the most important thing there is in the Middle East. You must, you must provide hospitality. So she did what was not only her duty to provide that hospitality, but demonstrated what it was to be a servant. Now, I think this lesson also gives us some insight into discipleship and servanthood when we look at uh, what we hear in there about Peter's life, I don't know about you, but I have so often wished that we had a better account of the, the lives of the disciples and of Jesus, for that matter, to understand what their, what their family life was like. Did they have wives? Did they have children? They must have. And here we have a little glimpse of that in the life of Peter with his mother being there in his home. Now, scholars have, have speculated, and I think rightly so, that because she is there and is providing the hospitality, it's very likely that, that she, her husband is no longer alive, and she has been taken in by Peter to care for her. So she's dependent upon Peter. 
And some speculate that because his wife is not present, providing the hospitality, that Peter's wife is perhaps also uh, no longer living. Now, that raises a real problem for me and perhaps for you in this idea of Peter responding to the call of Jesus to leave and follow him. Because that means that Peter is leaving behind someone who is dependent upon him. The Christian life, and especially I think the call to discipleship, is not always a call to a life that is easy to live into or is all put together in a very easy and comfortable way. I think sometimes we have an idea that once we are, if we are really faithful Christians, that all of life is just going to be great. And unfortunately, there are those who will tell us that and will encourage us to think that. But the reality is that when we follow Jesus, our life becomes a bit more complicated. We start to struggle with some of the important issues in life. We, we struggle with things like war and peace, about national policies. We struggle with the people who are homeless around us, who don't have food to eat. We struggle with our own affluence. We struggle with how we divide up and use our time. The struggles go on and on. In fact, they become more intense as we try to follow and be faithful in following Jesus. I think no one put it better than perhaps Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew what it was to live out his discipleship in sort of the ultimate way. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he has this very uh, succinct and, and perhaps a bit morbid expression. He says, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to come and die. And in a sense, we do. Because we have to die to those things that we thought were so important. Even that kind of death can be a very difficult one for us to face. So I believe in this very short piece that we had this morning from Mark. We have some interesting unpacking that we have been able to do, hopefully. And that is to see the miracles not in asking, our question, asking the question whether or not they really happened or not. But what do they mean? Seeing that when the kingdom of God comes close, there's restoration. We are made whole for a purpose to serve. And also seeing that when Jesus calls us and says to us, come, follow me. That when we do, the life that we are living into may be a bit more complicated than we thought we were signing up for. But one thing we can be sure of, the one who calls us doesn't just say go the one who calls us says come follow me and he goes ahead of us and he leads us into a life that could not be any more rich in any way than the life he leads us into and so this day let us give thanks that we hear the call as well come follow me he will always be there for us leading us blessing us making us whole. Amen. Amen.